we are in the final part of the series that we've been on about spiritual warfare. This is We Are at War, and this is part four, and this is about the final destination of souls, and will yours be in heaven or in hell? What is the final destination for your soul when you die? What of all human beings? For Satan? For the fallen angels? Of the spiritual war that is waged on the battlefields of heaven and earth? There's two answers, and there's two choices. Heaven for the bride of Christ, and hell for the lost that denied accepting the free gift of salvation of Jesus Christ. Now you're going to hear much scripture today on how the Bible describes heaven or hell. Not how people describe it, how I would describe it, what scripture says about it. You can read every book known to man about humans, angels, Satan, about heaven and hell, about God, about Jesus, and about the Holy Spirit. But if you're not reading the Holy Bible and comparing everything to God's written word, then you have no true concept of God. God does not need human intervention. God's word always speaks for itself. Heaven. Heaven is for true Christians only. No one else gets to go. True believers who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God awaiting Jesus to take us with Him for eternity in glory. In our minds, we just simply cannot comprehend the exaltation that expects us. We cannot picture heaven. As true believers in Christ, we no longer have to fear death and the adversaries of the spiritual warfare because our perpetuity in heaven with the Lord opened up for us at the cross of Christ. John 14, 1-4 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Jesus promised to take us to heaven with him. Now, Scripture gives us glimpses of heaven, but not full details and illustrations. Well, why not? Well, it's because our carnal minds cannot realize the true glory and, and the rewards that await us. We just cannot picture it. The Scripture does, however, give us a, a generalized idea and amazing glimpses of it, and, and what we are told is absolutely awe-inspiring. For example, when we enter heaven, we will be changed physically and spiritually. We will be like Jesus. 1 John 3, 2 says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Sin's no longer a factor, and we'll no longer be able to sin. Amen? Amen. The corruption of our minds and our physical bodies will be gone forever. Philippians 1.6 says, He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. We will finally be perfected as Christ is. We will be as holy as He is holy. Physical laws will no longer apply to us. 
We will be flawless and complete as he is. We will go from an imperfect, fallen world into a perfect, unfailing heaven. Revelation 22, 3-5 says, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Pain is eradicated. Disease is erased. Death is no more. Sorrow is a forgotten word. Affliction fades away. And it turns into affection for our Lord. Revelation 21.4 He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6 says, The eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy. Your transformed body, you guys, will be unbreakable and immortal. We cannot even fathom what we'll be able to do with these new glorified bodies. We will no longer have the constraints of the physical bodies that we live in now. Matthew 17, 1-4 says, Now after six days Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, is it good for us to be um, here, if you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now Moses and Elijah appeared and, and talked with Jesus. Peter identifies both of them, even though he never saw or knew them personally. You know, they lived hundreds of years before him. Now in heaven, we will not only know our loved ones, but everyone else that is there. What a beautiful hope that heaven brings. That every Christian brother and sister we will know in heaven. Revelation 7, 9 says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude, that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. Isaiah 65, 25 says, The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. You know, I want to see dinosaurs myself. Stephanie, she wants some lions as pets. It's all possible. If you would turn to Revelation 21. It gives us a beautiful description. Revelation 21. And I'm going to read the whole chapter. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, 
There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in hell. The lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of her God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a diamond, clear as crystal. Picture this. And she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates, and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of the wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, chalcedony. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, sardonyx. The sixth, sardius. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, chrysoprase. The eleventh, jacinth. And the twelfth, amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. And the street of city was pure gold like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are safe shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This new Jerusalem is immense. Basically about 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles high, roughly the size of the moon. The walls will be made of pure, clear stones in the city of pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations will be clear, pure, precious jewels. As God in his full glory dwells in the new city, the light from his glory will shine through these stones producing a brilliant rainbow of colors. Can you see God's glory reflecting off of this transparent gold and these precious 
jeweled walls of this city that are that's 1,500 miles in every direction. Can you imagine the colors that are going to emanate from this? We can't even visualize it. We cannot. There's nothing that we could do to compare what this sight will behold. You know, but what's more important than anything else is the fact that we will be with our Lord forever. From His throne flows the river of life. And it will be perfect and clear as crystal. We've never seen any water as clear as this will be. We will see Him face to face. We will see Jesus face to face. We shall worship Him and His people and He will be our God. We'll be able to talk to Him. Ask him questions. Listen to him speak. Imagine hearing his voice, the beautiful voice of our God. And we get to hear it forever. Imagine the truths he'll tell, the lessons he'll teach, the love he'll share with us. Imagine the songs we'll sing in praise to him, right before him. Psalm 73, 24 says, You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you receive me to glory. Revelation 3.21 says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Why do people not want this? I don't understand. All you have to do is lay your sins upon Jesus Christ, who died for you on the cross, since he is the only way to heaven. The only way. Ask him to forgive you and ask him to come into your heart and save you. But sadly... And heart-wrenchingly, so many will not. They refuse to. You know, I could talk about heaven without ceasing, but I also have to talk about the reality of hell as well. Because many go there every minute of every single day. We know through the victory of Jesus Christ our enemies are defeated. Satan and the fallen angels are defeated. The Antichrist and his armies are defeated. Hell is defeated and death is defeated. Revelations 12, 7 through 12, and a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. Revelation 19, 17 through 21 says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the great supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people free and slave, both great and small. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image. 
These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. I'm painting a picture of what's going to happen. We talked about heaven. Now we're going to talk about hell. You know, as every page in the Bible turns, we witness more and more prophecy being fulfilled. You know, it's almost as if we're moving so fast that we're going to have to start speed reading Revelation. That's how fast things are moving. And those of us that have been studying, studying end times, eschatology, we realize that all these things are just moving faster and faster and faster. The birth pains are stronger and more consistent. Deception and wickedness are on the grandest scale in human history, worldwide. We haven't seen anything yet. This is just scratching the surface. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 26 says, Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Most people don't think about death being destroyed. But it will. Because at the end, death is no more. And you either spend eternity in heaven or you spend eternity in hell. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6-10 says, Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction, from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Hell is real. And it will be filled with those who reject Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, as their King and God. Proverbs 15.24 says, The way of life is above to the wise, that he may depart from hell beneath. Isaiah 5, 13 through 16 says, For such lack of knowledge my people go into exile. This is also why their respected men starve and their masses are parched from thirst. Therefore hell has enlarged itself and opened its limitless jaws. And go down their nobles and masses along with their noise and revels. The masses are lowered. The nobles are humbled. Proud looks will be brought down. But the Lord of hosts is exalted through justice. God the Holy One is consecrated through righteousness. Psalm 9, 17 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Evil is widespread in this world today. Greed, lust, sins of the flesh, wicked deeds, desires, Satan and his legions, they're, they're having a field day with human beings. A field day. You know, people are being picked off one by one. And failing to turn to God and let go of their sins. Psalm 139.8 says, If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Let me read that line again. If I make my bed in hell. Everyone who goes to hell chooses to go there by rejecting Jesus as Lord. No one has to go to hell. The gift of eternal life is freely offered to all mankind through faith in Christ Jesus because he died for all of mankind. For all sin. 
1 John 2, 2 says, And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Matthew 16, 18 says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hell, Satan, and the forces of darkness can do nothing to the saints of Jesus Christ. We are sealed with God's Holy Spirit forever, and the chains of hell have been broken off of us. Forever. Now, I want to ask a question to the, to the lost person. Why do you think Christians are so adamant about your salvation? Well, because we understand that there's no second chances once a soul leaves this earthly life. There's no purgatory. There's no spirit prison. There's no second try once you die and face judgment. Judgment that you brought upon yourself. Hebrews 9, 27-28 says... And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. God has given you more chances than you deserve to turn to him in repentance and call out to the name of Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Now, how many of you have heard of Jesus in your life and disregarded it, mocked it, or disbelieved it, even though you're sitting in here today? FaceTime means nothing to God. A relationship with Him is what He wants. You know, well, hearing this today, you know, God's given you another time to accept it. What are you going to do with it? You know, I hear people all the time saying that it is cruel and unloving for God to send people to hell. And it makes me mad because... First off, you send yourself to hell because you refuse to turn to Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of sins that you live in. God is holy. God cannot live with sinful beings. Jesus was the sacrifice and appeasement that made us worthy to stand at God's throne of grace and mercy. I'm going to tell you what's cruel. Cruelty is seeing Jesus Christ on that cross, stretched out bloody and broken for you, and you spit in his face and you walk away. That's cruel. That's unloving. How dare we say that God would send people to hell when he did everything that he could to save us, when he died on that cross. Cruelty fits our human nature. It does not and never will fit the perfect love and nature of Jesus Christ. Mark 9, 43-44 says, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell. Into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Love for sin is the reason why sinners won't come to Jesus to be saved. John 3, 19-20 says, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. You don't want to see who you really are. That's the problem with most people. You know, Scripture says that hell's fire will never be quenched. And the worm that does not die, that may refer to one's conscience that will eat away at them for eternity. Because they rejected the Savior. That's the worst part about hell. It won't be the flames of torment even though we know that it burns. Scripture says so. Christ says so. 
But the worst part will be knowing in your heart that Jesus fully paid for your way to heaven and you could have gone to heaven, but you loved your sins more and refused to come to the Savior to be saved. People are not willing to repent. Instead, they choose to continue denying and making excuses for their sins. How many of us have done that? Yeah. You know, God's only requirement for acceptance into heaven is for us to admit our guilt and just ask for his forgiveness through his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. It's the only condition. We just have to ask for God to save us. But so many people don't even want to do that. That simple step of faith. Turn to Luke 16. Luke 16, 19 through 31. This gives you a little, little picture of what it's going to be like. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off. And, and Abraham was holding Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may, he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. And likewise, Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead, who is Jesus Christ. If they won't hear, they won't hear. Hell is a literal place of torment and fire, and the rich man had to deal with the dire thirst and knowledge of rejecting Jesus Christ. He was so distraught over what he rejected. He wanted to warn people from hell. He wanted to warn his family. That's how dire it is there. But we know that people won't listen to Christ. Even though he rose on the third day from the tomb. He claimed victory over death, hell, and Satan. Please listen to Jesus. Please. I cannot beg you enough. How important it is. Turn to Revelation 20. Revelation 20. And we, we touched on this in, in the Bible study this morning. This is how harsh and sin is. You'll see my point at the end. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. 
And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads and on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. Guess who that is? That's us. Now when a thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. The earth will repopulate. In a thousand years, we know how fast populations can explode, especially in a peaceful world with Christ as our king. They went up to the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. They're going to actually come where Christ is king. That is how corrupt our sin is that we think that we could defeat Christ, just as Satan thinks that he can defeat God. But what happened? And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. The Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown in there alive into the lake of fire. Alive. They didn't die and they were, ca- they were thrown alive, as scripture says, into the lake of fire. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne in him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You know, even after a thousand years of the reign of Christ on earth, sinful humans, the descendants of the tribulation saints who lived through the great tribulation that repopulated the earth, They'll turn from Christ once again. They'll forget what their fathers told them. Does that ring a bell with what happened with the Jews? They would always forget. And God would give them kings. And God would give them judges. And God would keep. But they would forget. Always a parallel between the old and the new. You know, you you say, how can people turn away from Jesus the king? Well, they did it 2,000 years ago. They do it now. They're going to do it again. And they're going to regret it. In hell, man through his selfishness, pride, and vanity wants to attribute everything good to himself. You know, when something's good, we take credit for it. But anything bad, we blame God. You know, people today who scoff and deny the existence of a literal hell and the lake of fire are calling God a liar. I just read a bunch of scriptures that say that heaven and hell exist. And if you say that they don't, then you're saying God is a liar because this is his word. It's not mine. It's his. Either you believe the Bible is God's word or you don't. There's no middle ground, no gray line. 
There's no holding place for a second chance once you've rejected Christ. True Christians will have a genuine compassion and fear for the lost. You guys should be torn apart that many we see and interact with daily are going to go to hell. Separate from God for eternity. You know, you might be the only defense that they have left to keep them from going there. You ever thought about that? You might be the only person that can keep them from bringing eternal damnation upon themselves. You know, you should basically spiritually wrestle them to the ground and hold on to them and say, I don't want you to go to hell. And even if it kills me, I don't want you to go to hell. I do not want you to go there. I love you that much. I do not want you to go to hell. Can you do that? Most of us don't. There's people in our family, we don't do it. And then what happens? They suddenly die and we missed our chance. I've done that. And I regret it to this day. That's to say, I don't know if they made peace with God in their last moments. I don't know. But I blew the chance that God gave me to talk to them. We can't do that. Plant the seed of Christ in them any chance you can. Even if it's a small seed, you just say the name of Jesus. You never know what that seed can turn into. Jesus said a mustard seed, but hey, you may have one turn into a redwood tree. You never know what God can do with the smallest seed that's planted. You know, I've spent the time I've had here reading to you about verses of heaven and hell. Now, if you don't believe in one, then you don't believe in the other, plain and simple. I don't care how you try to justify it. If you don't believe in one, you don't believe in the other. But when you die, you'll stand before Jesus as your Lord and majestic King and Savior, casting crowns at His feet in heaven. You're going to do that or, or you're going to stand before Him as your eternal judge, weeping and gnashing your teeth from the torment of realizing that what you did when you rejected His sacrifice for you on the cross. You've been warned repeatedly. God has told you throughout your life. Turn to Jonah 2. Jonah 2 says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he, cri and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The water surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Jonah ran away from God, as we all do, until we reach that point where we turn to him or we just keep running away for the rest of our life. Jonah reached a point and repented. Jonah felt what it was like to be in the bowels of hell, separated from God. Jonah repented and turned toward God before it was too late. God will pull you out, but you have to ask for his son to save you. Because when you die, that's it. Your choice is finalized then. You either now sit on the throne with God in heaven, or you've made your bed in hell. Now before I go, I want to share this. 
A famous English preacher spoke in an English town, and they, you know, then he rushed to catch his train for London. A lost sinner who heard him preach felt that he must immediately settle this matter of salvation. So he followed the preacher to the train, and just as the train pulled into the station, uh, he took hold of the preacher's lapel and said, I want to be saved. Tell me how. The minister said, I must catch this last train to London. Do you have a Bible? Uh, yes, I have one at home, said the anxious inquirer. He said, um, then go home and find Isaiah 53, 6. Read it carefully. Go in at the first all and come out at the last all and you will be saved. The preacher rushed away and the anxious sinner was left alone. He went back to his home and opening his Bible, he turned to Isaiah 53, 6. What did the preacher mean, he wondered? Go in at the first all and come out at the last all and you will be saved. He found the verse and read it carefully. All we like sheep have gone astray. Well, he thought to himself, I can certainly go in at the first all. I have gone astray. I'm a poor lost sinner. Then he read the last part of the verse. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He said to himself, if I come out at the last all, I must believe that all my sins were laid on Christ, that he took my place and paid for my sins. And if I rely upon that, I will be saved. That's what the preacher meant. He then trusted Christ and was saved. Can you do the same? What will it be? Heaven or hell? Heaven or hell? Choose now. You may never get another chance to be saved. Jesus Christ died for you, owing you nothing, but he offered you everything. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And lastly, Revelation 1.18 says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the key of hell and death. Jesus is the only one who can save you from losing this spiritual war and keeping you from casting yourself into hell. So what will it be? Heaven or hell? You guys choose. The ones we love, they choose. And they need to make their choice because we're running out of time.